First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me kind of bring you up to, uh, to where we are this morning. Paul and some others had started this church, participated in starting the church there in uh, Thessalonica. <clears throat> Paul, for one reason or another, was drawn away, pulled away from this church. And he always kind of felt like he didn't have the opportunity, he didn't get to spend the amount of time that he wanted there in order for it to be productive. And so in chapter 3, leading into chapter 4, he would send Timothy to them to encourage them, to strengthen them. And when Timothy would return, Paul was really shocked when he found out the church was actually doing really well. Matter of fact, it was doing extremely well well uh, under the circumstances and persecution and suffering that they were having to uh, deal with. And so in, in 1 Thessalonians, the first three chapters are more or less Paul encouraging, praising the church. But when you jump into chapter 4, everything changes starting with verse 3 in just a moment. So he begins to instruct them in different areas, things that they might be struggling with he starts to instruct them. So anyway, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read the first two verses here so we get started. Finally, then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to work and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So when Paul starts off here in verse 4, he says... We urge you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to live in a way that pleases God, the way that we taught you. We urge you, we plead with you, we encourage you to live the way that we taught while we were there. And then in verse 2, for the most part, what he was saying is is that when we were with you, everything that we said and everything that we did was under the authority of God. Of God, So he, want to make, he wants them to know for sure we're under the authority of God, everything that we're saying here. <clears throat> and then you come to verse 3. And that's verse 3 through 8. This is going to be the, for the most part, verse 3 kind of describes what we're going to be talking about this morning. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, <clears throat> that you should abstain from sexual immorality. It is God's will that you abstain from or stay away from sexual immorality. Now, contrary to popular belief, there's always been sexual immorality. And I've heard Christians and in our day and time, and preachers and things that talk about the signs of the times, gotten worse since the 60s to now, and all the sexual immorality going on, Jesus could come back at, at any moment, and he could. I'm not questioning that at all, but understand there's always been sexual immorality, and matter of fact, there are those who would argue today that if you take the number of people there were back then compared to the number of people there are today, Things were much worse back then than they are today. It's actually improved in a lot of ways. Now, obviously, we have easy access today to pornography, and we do live in a sex-saturated country where sex sells, and so we, we see these things a lot, but sexual immorality has always been around. And if you study on the book of Thessalonica, you will find 
they were known for sexual immorality. I believe last week Mickey said in our Sunday school's class that sex for them was like, it was like drinking water. I mean, these people could possibly be identified or described as much like animals in a sense. Dogs and cats running through the neighborhood doing, doing what they will. <clears throat> There's a college campus that I have spent um, quite a bit of time on. And not UTC, so fear not. Uh, but uh, another, another campus that I have spent some time on. And uh, on this campus, it's either once or twice a year, they have a holiday. And on this holiday, anything goes. And so people show up to class drunk, maybe drinking when they show up to class. Uh, people are smoking pot out around campus. Students are having sex on the lawn there on campus. So now understand. So think about that. And that's a good picture of Thessalonica and what this place was like. As a matter of fact, a lot of the religions there revolved around sex. All right? So priests having sex with multiple women there within the, this church, this building. Uh, so sex is sex saturated. So when Paul here tells these people to abstain from sexual sin, that would have been difficult. And we'll explain more in just a moment. But this was a part of their culture. This was the norm for them. <clears throat> but I want to be clear about something. For us, for you and I here this morning. I want you to understand that the sexual sin is not just limited to physical touch, okay? It's not just about physical touch. Sexual sin happens right there in your mind. That's what I want us to focus mainly on this morning. That's what I'm going to keep coming back to as we start trying to apply this <clears throat> to our church today, Jesus would blow the disciples' minds in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus told his disciples over and over, he kept saying this, he kept repeating himself, you've been told this, but I say this. You, you've been taught this way, but here's what I say in one particular situation. Jesus said, you've, you've been taught that adultery is the physical act of sleeping with a woman, but I say you lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And that is so critical and so important when it comes to sexual immorality. And that's exactly why there when, when those religious leaders, when they found the woman in the act of adultery and they took her out to stone her, and Jesus said, let the one who's sinless cast the first stone. And those men turned and they walked away because they'd never been confronted by someone who knew them from the inside out. It wasn't just about a show, how they perceived to be. No, no, Jesus, he knew their heart. And so I believe that's the reason sexual sins have got to be the most difficult top sins to overcome. Reason why? Most sins are eventually seen. They eventually come out. I mean, a person that has a problem with alcohol, eventually it comes out. A person that has a problem with drugs, eventually it shows itself. People that have problems with anger, with stealing, eventually those things are seen. But you're talking about something here that can for years and years 
remain silent. It's something that's done in secrecy. It's something that's done just in the, possibly in, in your mind. But I want to be clear about something. Consequences are the same. Jesus, the Bible makes it clear your sins will find you out. And this is one of those cases where <clears throat> the younger you start dabbling in this, worse off you are. Because the more you program your mind with this junk, the more difficult it is to overcome as time goes by. I tell college students all the time, you reap what you sow. I've been there. You'll reap what you sow. Those images, those thoughts, those situations that you find yourself in, they don't go away. And they'll carry with you right into your marriage. My wife and I were <clears throat> doing marriage counseling with a, a couple of while back. They were about to get married. And one of the things that kept coming up in this counseling over and over again this girl had saved herself from marriage, and he had not. And so time and time again over weeks, kept coming back to the same thing. I saved myself for you. I knew you were coming one day. Obviously, I wasn't worth saving yourself for me. And so this couple had to carry this immediately starting off into their marriage. Paul says, stay away from sexual sin. When you look at verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now that vessel that he's talking about here, what, what he's talking about, learning to control your own body, and then from that living in holiness and honor. <clears throat> learning to control yourself. That's part of this process. And Boy, Anna and I preach this to our boys all the time. The only person in this world you can control is you. You can't control. only person I can control is me. Now, you've got some control, some control freaks out there that want to try and control everything, manipulation and pouting or the silent treatment or physical abuse or shouting, whatever the case might be. But ultimately, the only person that you can control is yourself. You can control your mind, what you watch, where you go, what you do. But the bottom line is, is that there comes times each and every day when your mom and dad or your spouse or your best friend or your siblings, they're not around. And that's where you really get to see character, you know. How do I respond? How do I deal with temptation? What am I going to do? Do I, do I give in or not? Paul says, stay away from sexual temptation. There when he talks about this controlling your body in verses 4 and 5, Live in a holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like pagans or Gentiles that don't know God. If we're genuinely followers of Christ, if we have a desire to be like Jesus, there should be this desire 
There should be this passion within us that wants to do what's right. It wants to do what God tells us to do. Not that we're perfect. Not that we'll ever be perfect this side of heaven. But there should be this desire within us to do what God says. Trying to control ourselves. Several years ago, I've told this story before, but several years ago I was with some college students, and we're at Coolidge Park, we're on the bridge, standing there by the rail. I'm probably about 35 at the time, and one of these guys, about 23, this girl comes walking by. (laughs) He kind of nudges me, and he said, now that's a beautiful woman, like I didn't know. (laughs) I mean... Like, like he was educating me on something. I'm, you know, I'm 35, got a wife, two kids. I don't know what a beautiful woman looks like. And I remember thinking in my mind, my eyes work well, dude. I don't have a problem with that. No, it's training, learning to control your thoughts. It's all right to notice she's beautiful. It's, all, it's also in right, it's all right to be tempted No sin and temptation, just following through. Going places in your mind you should never, ever go. That's what Paul was talking about here, learning to control yourself. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But here in verse 6, this takes an interesting twist. that, That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified. Now, interesting verse here. Because what this is referring to is your brother's wife. Your brother in Christ's wife. The New Living Translation says, Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife. Now you might think, why in the world would you have to bring this up? And your brother's sister in Christ violating his, his wife. And Mickey pointed out this morning, and <clears throat> I'm glad he did, a lack of study time, but he pointed something out that was really good. Back in this day and time, <clears throat> women for the most part were kept at home in the house. They didn't go anywhere. And those who did were kind of rebellious in a sense, and they were viewed almost like prostitutes. So men are just sleeping with whoever in that day and time. And obviously, when they found this freedom in Christ and they start coming to church, <laughs> Paul had to remind these guys, hold on now, wait a minute. That, that, that doesn't apply in the church, guys. You don't just sleep with whoever you want to. So that's kind of the situation. That, that's the reason Paul would write something like this. Now, obviously, that's not the case in America. But then along the same lines with that, let's keep in mind A lot of stuff goes on in the church. You don't have to look far to hear of stories, of affairs, and things that take place in the church. But then again, lest we try and cast the first stone, let's stay consistent with what I'm trying to talk about this morning. And this warning is not just for the physical act of sleeping with a woman. Again, this could apply to all of us sitting here 
this morning. This warning is for those that might think, that might daydream, that might fantasize, that might lust over a sister in Christ. Again, Jesus would say, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Just simple as that. Don't be cast in stones. <clears throat> Let me say this, though. And I hope you don't take this the wrong way. Particularly geared at ladies here, okay? And no excuses. Again, the only person I can control is me. But here's the thing. In case you don't know this, men are driven by sight. What we see. And so one thing I think the Bible does teach, and again, this is a brother to sisters in Christ, is that I think particularly within the church, within the body of Christ, just be considerate of guys and what you wear. Because, you know, we spend 99.9% of the week somewhere else. I spend a lot of time here in the next week or two on campus. I see all kinds of stuff. I have enough issues as it is. And so, Bible talks about modesty. Now, understand something. I, I'm not by any means going to get legalistic up here and tell you what to wear. That's between you and God, you and the Holy Spirit. You do what God tells you to do. But just be considerate in this matter. Because this, this is a big issue, and it's difficult for men. God says there in the last part of verse 6 that the Lord avenges those who participate in these things. In these, God doesn't take this lightly. <clears throat> verse 7, I'm not going to read it, but it says God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. And then verse 8 says this, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And so... Simply, Paul is saying, if you reject what's said this morning, you're not offending me. These are not my words. You're rejecting the word of God and what God says. And I think one of the most convicting verses in the Bible that I quote all the time is, Jesus would say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you're genuinely a follower of mine, you're going to pursue and try to do what I'm telling you to do. So, what's the solution? What do we do? Because I would say to some degree, a large portion of us here, we struggle with this. I used an illustration years ago here. I think it applies well. Can you imagine... Can you imagine this morning if, if Tim Goss, if he had invented this machine, this contraption, sit here on stage, a chair, you take this little cap, you put it on your head, and everything you've thought in the last week shows up on these screens for us to read. Everything. We don't want to go back too far, so we'll just say the past year. I mean the past week. I wonder how many of us here would be the first to jump up and say, let me do it. So again, I would say a large portion of those of us that are here, 
We struggle in this, men and women, in some way, form, or fashion. So if you would, flip over to um, Romans. I want you to see two verses here that are uh, you probably have memorized. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Brethren, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul says, I plead with you, I beg you, I urge you to offer your bodies to God as a holy living sacrifice, something that he finds acceptable. Offer your body in this way. This has nothing to do with salvation. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, here's how you offer yourself to God. Back in Old Testament, children of Israel would take the best lamb they had. No blemishes, no flaws, no broken bones. They would take the best. That's what they would offer to God. That's what he's saying here. Offer yourself in the same way to God. Now how? Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world, or don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God change your mind, your thought process. That's, that's what this consists of. Changing your mind. Reprogramming your thoughts and how you think. And for some of you, you're thinking, this is a big deal, Van. I've got 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years worth of reprogramming. Yes, it doesn't happen overnight. We slip up. We, we make mistakes. You reap what you sow. But it's a process. And, and I can tell you, I, I was introduced to things that I should have never seen at a, at a young age. And I have battled with these things like many of you here. I've battled with these things for years. It's a war. <laughs> Jesus said, you follow me. It's a difficult path. Hard. Difficult. But it's a path that you take if you're following Christ. I had the opportunity this, <clears throat> this summer to work with two groups of people. Uh, one, some of the guys from here and around Saudi Daisy. I, I walked through with them what it looks like to be a man today. We did it on Wednesday nights at the house. And, but at the beginning of summer, I got to do that with several guys. New York, Kentucky, North Carolina. And it was so sad because... We're talking about purity and relationships with your parents and how your dad plays a big role in you being a man. We're, we're talking about making excuses, passivity, dealing with fear. Men were created to be adventurous, risk takers. And a lot of times in our society today, they've been dumbed down. We're talking about all of these things, but one thing in particular that really seemed to hit home with those guys 
I told him, there comes a point in your life, you got to own your life. you got to take responsibility for you. doesn't matter what happened in the past. No excuses. you got to own your life. And I think I would say that to all of us here this morning, women, men, comes a point, no excuses. Don't, doesn't matter anymore. You can't go back and change it. You own your life. You take responsibility for your life. Will you need help with this? Yeah. Particularly, particularly if it's a sexual addiction, you're going to need help with it. And there's lots of programs. There's programs here that we have with Celebrate Recovery and things that are to help people walk through this process. And start to recover from their sin but you've got to understand it is a battlefield and it don't stop it's every day every day getting up putting on the armor of God so here I go again can't ever let your guard down can't ever take a break can't take a vacation you gotta keep trudging alone you gotta keep moving forward so Paul says Stay away from sexual sins. Stay away from it. Learn to take control of your body, your, your life. How? By the renewing of your mind, changing your thought process, changing the way you think. And praise God, through Jesus, through the work of the cross, we have the power to overcome. It's there for us. Jesus took care of it all on the cross. We have the ability. As it's often said in AA, I've been to AA meetings with guys, and you got to know, first of all, you got a problem. That's number one. I've got a problem, and I need help. Let's pray. You may stand to your feet.